My new book is out, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. It hit the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list, and I just wanted to say thank you. I hope you get it at capitalistbook.com. Here's what user Jay Eggleston said in an Amazon review. Warning, this book is addicting, is Nathan the new Tim Ferriss. He said, I met Nathan during my college days when he was still CEO of Hayo. I knew he was inspiration since the day I met him. The book is totally a Nathan Latka original, and this is the new four-hour work week. Warning, though, it is addicting. I'm not sure how long I've been reading it now, and the only thing that is making me from put it down is the dreaded workday tomorrow. Six people found that helpful. Get the book today at capitalistbook.com. Market fast, a factory founded in 2008. Think of it like APIs for banks, uh, fund managers, and brokers to help them decrease their currency risk. They're currently working with about 30 clients, doing about 12 million bucks in ARR, uh, about a million bucks a month. That's up 30% year over year, uh, going back 12 months from today. $7.1 million raised, team of about 36 people based between New York and London. Healthy economics, 125% net revenue retention annually, spending four to six months of first year ACV on acquiring that customer, mainly going towards their salespeople and other channels, lifetime value in the millions of dollars. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. They had no money when they started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Darren Jer. He co-founded Market Factory in 2008 with the vision of providing clean, fast code to the FX market and is currently CEO. Before founding Market Factory, he led sales and operations in the financial services markets for over a decade. Darren was head of new business sales Americas for EBS, ICAP, and before that, he was sales executive for IBM Wall Street Accounts. Darren, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right, very good. So give us a quick overview. What does Market Factory do and what's your revenue model? How do you make money? So every time you go on eBay or Amazon and you buy something uh, from a seller in Europe or in Asia, right, there's a foreign exchange transaction, right? There's a currency being traded and that currency is being, that risk is being held by a bank, right? So someone made you a rate, you know, it's, you know, 10 euros, 20 euros, whatever it is, it goes to a bank and, and those positions build up to hundreds of millions of dollars per day, per hour, billions, in fact. Um, and at a certain point, these banks in the world, they need to trade it again with each other. They need to get rid of risk, right? So if, you know, US banks are always long, long dollars, um, they basically have, if they have too much of one thing or the other, they have to trade it with European banks, Asian banks. If you trade stocks, there's probably three major exchanges, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and some others in the US. But if you trade currencies, it's a very global market, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like Napster uh, for trading, which is every single bank, every single exchange, um, even hedge funds in, across the world, they trade euros with dollars, with yen, with Swiss every second of the day. And there are no breaks, right? Basically, even when it's Christmas here, Asians are trading because it's a work day for them. Um, it's, a 20, it's a truly 24-7 market. So what we do is we provide an API technology that helps. Wait, Darren, sorry. You're saying like the stock market is 24-7 or the currency market is 
currency markets 24 seven. So then why did you, you said earlier that these banks will actually build up these positions and that's risky over days or hours or weeks, but why would they be building up a position if it's instant? Um, so they are, they're basically trading with customers constantly, right? Via, via electronic, basically you can trade, you, you know, like if you do a foreign exchange transaction with your bank, you know, they'll do it on a weekend, they'll do it on a weekday, they'll do it whenever with you. And they carry the risk for that. So imagine if you do like uh, a European transaction and something big happens in Europe and the price of Euro drops, well, they're holding that risk, right? You- Why though? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I thought I, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't convert that instantly. Um, for you and I, and for certain corporates, um, it, they don't convert it instantly. No, they basically hold on to it because in general, they're making us a rate at which they can earn money and, and basically afford They're they're pricing in the risk, right. Of all these countries into mm-hmm. their price. Tier. So okay. they're making money on that. You know, you don't, don't worry about the banks. They know what they're doing. <laughs> I, I understand that. I'm trying to understand where you fit into this. So, so right. where do you fit in? So imagine a, extremely fragmented peer-to-peer market. And that's what global foreign exchange is, right? Until there is a world government there, it's very difficult. It's a very lightly regulated market. There's no way to basically have a world police that says, hey, look, we're just going to have three major exchanges. Euros are traded on this, dollars on this, Swiss on this, right? Essentially, it's all peer-to-peer. And if it's peer-to-peer, that means in our age of Michael Lewis's Flash Boys, where um, trading is mostly done 60% by computers, right? The computers need to talk to each other. And they talk to each other using APIs. So what Market Factory does is provide a single platform, a single API that connects all these different B2B institutions to one another to trade all these foreign currencies. And it's very much an institutional market. Minimum trade size is 1 million US dollars, right? So um, we have a very mission critical place in the supply chain. And so just to be clear, these are APIs specific to managing this currency risk. It's not an API for any other kind of financial. So you're just focused on the currency risk. It's, fo- yeah, it's strictly focused on B2B currency trading. Okay, very good. Okay, I understand. Yep. And, and how do you, so how do you make money on that? So we are very countercultural for our industry. Most uh, of the technology providers um, or exchanges in our industry charge brokerage or commission, right? So percentage of every trade or fixed amount in every trade. We actually brought the SaaS model. Uh, we're probably the first ones to bring the SaaS model to foreign exchange. So we are strictly, you know, MRR, ARR based. And so what does that look like? A bank can buy a million API calls per month for X amount of money per month and it's kind of usage-based SaaS pricing? Uh, close. We, we actually just charge it by functionality module. So let's say a bank typically needs, you know, uh, 20 exchanges to start to trade with to begin, but uh-huh. they'll scale up to 35, 40 exchanges. So we'll charge a, an ARR per exchange per module, right? And it's unlimited API calls, unlimited usage, which is what they like. Interesting. Okay. So your cost structure does not fluctuate then based off usage. In other words, if someone used it like 300 times what your pro forma said they'd use it as, that's not going to drastically increase your margins or decrease your margins. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, let's be honest, right? Uh, it's the price of an Intel transaction, right? You have good code on top of an, of Intel processors. It's what's the price of an IO on across the CPU. Got it. Um, And, but you're right in your, in your, in the old school, a broker, like a human broker would charge per transaction, right? Remember the days of, you know, this is like when you're in 
third grade, but like uh, a stock trade was still 150 bucks, right? Um, yeah. No, I'm more making the, anal- the analogous comparison to like an email marketing company, which, you know, the MailChimp will charge you hundred bucks a month to send a million emails. Uh, but, but they do have a fixed cost structure built in per email, but it's so low. They're assuming you're never going to hit that usage level. I'm just making sure with unlimited usage, you don't have, there's no one, there's no one bank that could essentially break you and become unprofitable for you because it's just, it is actually free for you to, you know, do these API calls. Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. Very good. Okay. So banks are your customers and I don't want to go down every single customer cohort, but give me a general sense on average, what does a bank pay you per year for this kind of service? Yeah. I would say just for clarification, we're probably like 45% banks, 45% funds, you know, the buy side yep. right? and then about 10% brokers. Right. Okay. Um, and then what pe- people pay us, our average revenue per account is 400,000 ARR yep. dollars. Um, our, our range of, we have about 30 enterprise customers who pay us between hundred K and over a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. ARR. Um, and, and, um, yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, it's all, you know, recurring revenue. Just to be clear. So you have, you have 30 total paid accounts that are split 45% banks, 45% funds, 10% brokers. Uh, yes, we have more than 30 accounts, but 30 are enterprise, meaning like at least hundred K in spend. Got it. But across your entire customer base, your average ASP first year is about 400,000 bucks. Is that accurate? Uh, the average revenue per account amongst the, just the enterprise customers. We're not counting like guys, like smaller customers who are just taking small, you know, one or two things from us. Sure. Okay. So then I can, I mean, I can back into minimum there in terms of monthly recurring revenue. If you've got 30 enterprise accounts with an average ASP of 400 grand, you know, that's 33 grand per month. I mean, that puts you at about a million bucks in monthly recurring revenue. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And is it, do you, you know, with a lot of these things that are usage based or things like this, you'll see seasonal functionality. Do you have kind of bumps based off seasons or no, it's pretty flat. It's truly predictable revenue. Um, seasonal bumps in usage or in terms of the sales cycle? No, I'm talking specifically usage. Usage. Um, okay. Our, our seasonal usage would be economic events such as uh, monthly non-farm payrolls, right? or uh, the Fed or Bank of England, you know, changing interest rates. Mm-hmm. So those are our Super Bowls, right, on a monthly or ad hoc basis. Okay. And that's so when our system has to be ready to basically handle a huge surge in trading volume. Yep. So Super Bowls are great for you, those three or four you just described. They're during the down, when there's not a Super Bowl event, though, does it impact your revenue retention or anything like that or no? Right, no. So because we're purely subscription, and, and it's a good question that you asked, because the Super Bowl events are when our customers make a ton of money, right? Or, or just are, are doing a ton of trading. But it doesn't affect our revenues at all. Our, our job is to provide, you know, we're, we're paid in, in subscription anyways, right? We don't have any upside for more trading or, or, or low trading or downside for low trading. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, there's a lot of people that are priced against something that's not the actual value utility metric. So I'm saying, let's say renewal is coming up next month and, and you're on the phone with one of your banks and they say, hey, listen, Darren, we love, we've loved your product. It's been amazing. It's really helped us de-risk really these currency exchanges. However, we only really used it hardcore three times last year during these Super right. Bowls. We don't know if we can right. renew. Right, right. If that, like, how do you manage those kinds of conversations? So their usage is constant because we do two things, right? We subscribe to all the exchanges and clean up the market data that is kind of the lifeblood of all their systems. So they need, they need prices from the wholesale market uh, to basically input into their pricing engines to price corporates, large corporates like HP and Apple down to mom and pop corporates, you know, individual consumers at ATMs, 
you know, you doing a high net worth transaction because you just sold the company uh, in a different currency and have to repay for it, right? There, there are all different price levels for all different types of currency transactions. And so on a constant basis, they're using our system to pull in what the wholesale market is so that they can create, you know, the, the, the retail market or the, or the smaller B2B market. So when you look at it on an annual basis, maybe trailing 12 months, what would you say your net revenue retention is annually right now? Right. So this is the, this is the, these are the dynamics in financial services uh, in our part of financial services, which we enjoy, right? Which is um, these systems are deep verticals. It's uh, it's, you need a lot of subject matter expertise. There's high barriers to entry, but there's also, you know, um, incredible customer loyalty. So in general, net customer retention, you know, is between, so let's say uh, 125% to 130%. And that's obviously on a revenue basis annually. That is taking like the cohort starting Gen 1, ending December 31, right? So not counting new customers that year, but basically if you take the same consistent cohort, um, they will spend, they'll, they'll do some cancellations, right? They'll do some- Yeah, you'll, you'll lose 10%, but you'll gain 35% in expansion. So net, net, it's 125. Yeah, net, net, it's like 125 to 138. Yes, Got it. That's our experience so far. And where, what, is driving, what is driving your ability to drive 35% in expansion on those same accounts? What pricing axis are you driving that up by? So we're selling more modules, right? So okay. right now, let's say, let's say you need, if you, if you want to trade on every single exchange in the FX universe, that's 120 modules, right? But most people trade on probably anywhere from 20 to 45. I see. Um, and, and also some modules are like, you are a liquidity consumer where you go out and just trade and take prices. But then like Napster, after you accumulate a certain amount of expertise, you want to become an uploader, right? You want to upload your music. You want to give other people your prices. And that creates uh, additional functionality and pricing. Yep. Talk to me real quick. Last few customer economics here, onboarding, getting new customers. What's your fully weighted CAC? Um, our, our, okay, so... Our cost of customer acquisition is about three to six months for a buy side, a fund. Okay, they move faster. And six to 12 months for a sell side. Wait, that's your sales cycle or that's your payback period? Uh, our CAC, okay, our, our, customer, uh, our CAC is probably four, four to six months. Okay, got it. So you're, you're, you're willing to, just to be clear, I want to make sure I get that clear. You're willing to spend up to four to six months of first year value. So first year value is 400 grand. You're willing to spend up to 200 grand to acquire that customer. Yes. I see. And where's most of that money going? Inside sales team, traveling, where's it going? It's going to sales, salespeople. Um, it, it's still, it's a, it's a very, it's still a very face-to-face market. We do yeah. some SDRing and, you know, marketing and demand gen and so forth, which is great, but ultimately uh, to really close fast and, and well, you know, it needs a visit, right? So it's what's a, the team size look like today? Um, company is 36 people between New York and London, mostly engineers. Uh, we actually only have three salespeople, three, three salespeople who also do some account management. Okay. So our, our LTV is about, uh, is about eight years. Okay. Um, we have one customer that's at nine years. And so our LTV to CAC is very high and we plan on investing and we are investing. Yeah. So, I mean, look, if you have eight years at a minimum 400 grand a year, now it's probably higher than that after nine years because you're driving expansion revenue, but that puts LTV in dollars at call it three, four, five million, something like that. Um, yes, yes. Is that how you play? That's how you forecast it? Easily. And also because of the deep vertical nature, you know, I think you read the S1s for various deep vertical companies and they, you know, really it's, you know, as you grow, you can approach 80, 90%, you know, market share. Yeah, you can for sure. Now put this on a timeline for me. When did you launch? Uh, we technically launched in 2008, but really, uh, we had a slightly different business model, different software until 2010. 
Darren, that's a hell of a time to launch a fintech company, 2008. Yeah, well, you know, we raised the Series A as the crisis was going on, you know. um, In 2008? We started in 2008, yeah. We raised 2.8 million in 2008. um, Because, I don't know, we had a lot of angels. So we had a lot of angels. How many? Services. We probably had around um, 25 angels. Oh, wow, okay. Our entire Series A was 7 million. Right. And 1.3 million is from a great venture partner, uh, First Mark Capital in New York. Um, but the remainder, 5.7, is all from individuals. Okay. Right? So, seven, so, you, so just to be clear, total funding to date is about 7.5 million? 7, 7.1, 7.1 million. 7.1 million. You recently did a, a, a debt round as well. Walk me through why you did that strategically, why it makes sense. Um, it's just fast and very efficient, right? It leverages you know, our growth balance sheet growth rate. Um, it's kind of no frills straight ahead. We did one, uh, we had found a really good partner when we're going, when we're going, when we were going from, there's one year when we're at like 3.5 million in revenue and the sales cycle was just, our sales cycle is very Q4 weighted. Yeah. Um, so around these Super Bowl events, probably. Yeah. Super Bowl events or just like financial service institutions needing only spending their budget at the end of the year, but in a big way. Yep. And, um, you know, we had some cash crunches to get through, found a great partner in Lighter Capital based in Seattle. Um, you know, they gave us like a 500K AR, uh, 500K loan. Yep. Uh, we and just said, to be clear, they, they, you know, I know those guys well, they typically only do revenue-based financing, but you have scale where they could have offered you also a term loan structure, like what Silicon Valley Bank or Hercules or Timia typically do. Did you do revenue-based financing or a term loan? Uh, with, with them, we did... I'm not sure the mechanics are, are like, are they, are they, are they paying you back on a percentage of month? Are you paying them back yeah, yeah, on a percentage? Revenue. Lighter is revenue based. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what and I was just then, saying. Yeah. And then on top of that, we have found a great, another great partner, bridge bank for a line of credit. I see. So you kind of, you got both the best of both worlds there. Yeah. Cause what, what's happening is like, you know, we charge, you know, kind of annually in advance. So what happens is that you have these, you know, one month you get like 3 million and then next month you have nothing, you yep. know, and then, and then you get this huge, incoming cash again, right? So the bridge bank has been great in terms of just smoothing all that out, allowing us to grow. Would you recommend, there's a lot of people thinking about using lighter capital. Would you recommend them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great guys. Um, they, the key thing is they get the space, right? They understand the dynamics of SaaS and they understand how powerful it becomes once, you know, given your churn or your cancellations, whatever, once all that is transparent and you help them understand, like they get the dynamics of your business. Were they fast? Yes. They're like, very efficient. Like when you first talked to when they actually wired you money, how quick was that? I think it was like, it was the first time we worked with the lender. So we had, we had our materials pretty much set, <laughs> but it took six weeks. Well, that's still pretty good. Pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, and also I can't say it was all them. It was probably like we had to like, you know, make sure, you know, we had everything in the format that these folks look at. I mean, since then we do it much faster. Yeah. Right? But, but L- they could do it faster if, they need, if we needed it. Yeah. Last question here before we wrap up with the famous five, you said you're doing about a million per month today. Take me back a year so we can get growth rate in August, 2017. What'd you do? Yeah. So, um, you know, we did about 30%, we did 30% growth in the last year. Okay. That's pretty Um, good. So doing about 700 grand per month a year ago, something like that. Yeah. And I think here's, yeah, this probably ties in with some of the fast, uh, the the five, which we'll go into, but, but basically like, you know, it's scaling is hard. Scaling international business is hard. Even at 36 people going on like 45 in the next year minimum, um, it's hard. And also we have a very tight SLA business. Like this is not the thing where you can just push things down a factory and an assembly line. Like, you know, you can't, we're kind of looking for people that they can answer, you know, they can be the en- pre-sales engineer and the salesperson and the support person when they need to be, right? Yeah. Just because tr- 
trading is so fast. If something breaks, like we have to be on it all over it. And then that's why clients keep on re-upping and paying us more and more. Yep. So um, it, it's, it's basically we're, we're investing in the last couple of years. So uh, intentionally like kind of, you know, are, are not taking on as many new projects, but the whole goal is to, to basically go slow so we can go fast. Cash flow negative right now or close to profitability? No, we're, we're pretty much like EBITDA break even. So, you know, may have pretty like good. 50 grand, 200 grand plus, you know, maybe like 600K minus depending on the last couple of years. Yeah. Good. All right. Let's wrap up Famous Five. Quick answers. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, the Advantage by Pat Lencioni. Um, Number- it's not fluffy. It's technical. Highly recommend it. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I am cheering and praying for Elon Musk. Like, <laughs> Elon, you can do it. Um, use your team. Um, change the way, you know, change your assumptions. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your business? I like this. Look, we use the same things as everyone else. We use HubSpot. We use LinkedIn. It's great stuff. But the, the day-to-day thing that keeps me sane is this thing called Boomerang, where it, like, bounces back your email to you after two days or just, it's great for helping with follow-up. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Six to seven on the weekdays. Um, hopefully, you know, eight plus on the weekends. And what's the situation? Married, single, kiddos? Single, um, working, working on marriage. <laughs> working, are you engaged? No, no, no. Okay, good. I'm dating, yeah. <laughs> good yeah, stuff. Gotta, 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 gotta work in the personal life as a, as a huge priority, so. Nice, and how old are you, Darren? I'm 44. 44, last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? go slow so you can get it right go slow so you can go fast guys there you have a market fast a factory founded in 2008 think of it like apis for banks uh, fund managers and brokers to help them decrease their currency risk they're currently working with about 30 clients doing about 12 million bucks in arr uh, about a million bucks a month that's up 30 percent year over year uh, going back 12 months from today 7.1 million dollars raised team of about 36 people based between new york and london healthy economics 125 percent net revenue retention annually spending four to six months of first year ACV on acquiring that customer, mainly going towards their salespeople and other channels. Lifetime value in the millions of dollars. Darren, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan.